Hey, it's Antoinette, and welcome to another episode of the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast. Today's episode in my fertility series is all about integrative and collaborative fertility treatment. My guest and I discuss how you can optimize your fertility outcomes by working with fertility-focused practitioners to support your work with a reproductive endocrinologist at a fertility clinic. My guest today is Dr. Kelsey Duncan, who is a naturopathic doctor with a special focus in fertility and women's hormonal health. Kelsey is the founder and CEO of the Fertility Confidence Method, her proven 12-week method to balancing hormones, boosting fertility, and to improve your chances of conceiving. Welcome to the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast, a podcast about female empowerment through menstrual cycle health, the true heartbeat of your hormone status. With each episode, we'll explore the foundations of hormone health with science, soulful, and heartfelt conversations, a dash of sass, and feminine pizzazz. Our dream is to arm you with exactly what you need to be an unstoppable female force, ready to achieve all that your heart desires and embrace your inner goddess. And here's your host, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, fertility awareness educator, hormone enthusiast, and lover of pretty things, Antoinette Falco. Welcome, Kelsey. It's so great to have you in today's interview. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Why don't we jump right in with you telling us a bit about what led you to do the work that you do? And if you want to share a personal story, that would be great. Uh, My journey starts honestly back from when I was a teenager and how I sort of got into women's health. So I had horrible cystic acne as a young 14-year-old woman and thought that my life was over. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yeah, I think a lot of people can probably relate to this story. Uh, And tried, honestly, everything. Like, And I just kept going back to my doctor. Birth control was their solution for me. But the birth control pill left me feeling really quite terrible. And every time I went back and was like, you know, I'm nauseous. Sometimes I'm vomiting. Um, my mood, like I was starting to feel quite depressed and, and in retrospect, I can really see that correlation with the pill knowing what I know now. But in the moment I was like, why is this happening to me? And the solution was always just another pill. And unfortunately all of those things didn't really help my acne. (laughs) So it was like constantly trying something else that just wasn't working. I could literally open my own shoppers of half used skincare products, like the whole gamut. I did it all. And it wasn't until I found and started at CCNM at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and realized that there was more to it than just using the pill and maybe the actual underlying hormones and the suppression of my hormones was leading to the acne. So I worked with an ND at the clinic there, which was great, came off the pill. And this really spurred me into women's health. And it's that sort of snowballed into the fertility world when at the end of my journey with the pill, my last ditch effort was getting an IUD. Um, I had tried the patch. I had tried the NuvaRing. I tried them all, literally tried everything to try to clear up my skin. And finally, my doctor was like, this is all we really have left for you. And my IUD insertion went quite poorly. And I was told at the end of that appointment that I may struggle to get pregnant. And she wrote me a prescription for another pill and left. And that was it. I didn't get an explanation. I didn't get a conversation. I just got told at 22 that I might have a hard time having babies and here's another pill. Good luck with your skin, basically. So that experience really pushed and propelled me forward into advocating for women's health and not only in a fertility realm, which is what I focus on, but in a realm for just showing women that we can advocate for ourselves and our health. And that's important. And this was my experience, but it doesn't need to be yours. And so education is a really big piece of my practice because I felt like I didn't get that in the seven, eight years that I was, you know, navigating this world. So that's sort of what brought me, brought me here today. Such common themes I'm hearing with all the people, all the women that I interview. And that is they want to give back. They want to empower women to know that there is more to the story. There is more information out there. And it's such a disservice, I think, in Western medicine is that women are being told this is happening to them, but not given an explanation. That's awesome because I feel like you can empathize what that feels like. I can relate to being you know, a teenager and not understanding 
the acne piece. Actually, I would say even in my adult years, having yeah. that acne and being like, what's going on? Yeah. But like everything in hormones, it's more complicated than just yeah, the skincare always. products we use, yes. right? Always. <laughs> always. Okay. So you, you work with fertility. Yep. And uh, let's chat about what integrative fertility means. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot in the fertility community. And I like to break down what integrative means and how that relates when we're looking at fertility. For me, integrative fertility care means that it is a collaborative approach. So I have two sort of subsets of women, three actually subsets of women that I work with in my practice. The first being the proactive woman, the one that comes to me prior to starting to try to get pregnant, knowing that they want to be doing everything possible to give themselves the best chance to get pregnant quickly. So she's being proactive in her health. Um, a lot of time, this, these types of women feel like, you know, maybe something's always been a little bit off with their hormones, like they have painful cycles or irregular cycles, and they're worried that their fertility is being impacted. Then the second subset of women that I work with come to me after they've been trying for a couple of months. And they're someone who typically has had normal, regular periods had assumed that all they would have to do is just pull the goalie and they would get pregnant and maybe all their friends are getting pregnant really quickly. And so they're starting to wonder like, why isn't this happening for me? Something must be wrong. So they've already started trying. They might have, you know, read a couple of blogs and started a few things that they felt like maybe, or they were told might help them. And then the third population of women are my fertility patients who are already in that fertility clinic stream. So that's really where I think the integrative care comes into play is it doesn't need to be one or the other. It doesn't need to be natural or Western medicine or pharmaceutical or however you want to label that. It needs to be a collaborative approach. So I still work with women who are doing IUI procedures and IVF procedures or are starting into the fertility clinic stream to get cycle monitoring and, and maybe they're doing like a medicated natural consumption cycle or something along those lines. Um, but I still use all the tools in my toolkit to support their body on a whole level so that those procedures have a better chance of working. So it's not a, okay, I've tried and now I need to go to the fertility clinic. So there's nothing else I can do. And I think that's where the awareness piece really needs to come into play that every, regardless of where you are at in your journey, everything you're doing to support your body and to support your hormones are only going to help the next step of the journey work better. So if we do all of the things and you don't get pregnant naturally and you need to go to the fertility clinic, that doesn't mean everything you've done has been for a waste. It essentially means you're putting yourself in a better position moving forward with an IVF cycle or IUI cycle for it to work more efficiently and to actually get you that baby that you're hoping for. So for me, integrative is also kind of synonymous with collaborative. So I do work closely with fertility clinics and reproductive endocrinologists and with women in that fertility clinic stream already. Women, you know, I always encourage them to still have their physicals with their medical doctors and it's not a one or other approach, regardless if it's fertility or just general health, like naturopathic doctors and medical doctors, we really need to be working together. And that's really for me what I think integrative, integrative means. Great definition. And it's a message I know naturopaths have been preaching for a long time. We see it for sure in the fertility world more so I think than any other stream of medicine because success rates aren't necessarily hundred yep. percent like we would think they that we would think that they are. I really, really liked the point that you said about the thing you did was not to wait, was not for waste. Like everything yeah. that you've done in the past, you know, because it can sometimes give the idea that it's only what you tried or did in that one cycle that either worked or didn't work. And then if you didn't do it, you're like, oh, well, that didn't work for me. I'm just going to stop. But fertility, every event, every mental cycle is independent. And then, you know, it does take that three months for good egg quality. And like you said, all of those supplements, lifestyle changes, diets, everything that you've done is so important to support that, that egg that isn't just being influenced in a 30 day or, you know, however long your cycles are. 
Yeah, it's so true. Like exactly what you said, the it's 30 days to impact an egg. So everything that you do today is actually improving your chances three months from now. And, you know, that's just a very like loose statement. We all probably make in the fertility world and in the hormone world is it takes about three months for us to really do some good for you. But mm-hmm. It could take longer because, you know, just because we say that doesn't mean that it's that specific egg that actually got all the good stuff that's going to get picked by your hormones to proceed to the next part of the cycle, right? So I usually try to say like three to six months, (laughs) you know, like we don't know for sure. I don't have a magnifying glass. I wish I did like have a something (laughs) to look down into those ovaries to see like, okay, how are these eggs in like, what are we doing here? What do we need to change? how much progress have we made? But again, it's, and it's why I know a lot of us got into this world is it's a very individualized approach and every woman's body is going to respond differently to what we do. Right. So for some, it might take a bit longer than mm-hmm. others. Yeah. It take, it's one sperm and one egg, right? It, it's really, <laughs> that's, it's that simple in theory, but it's yeah. uh, obviously involves a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and another point that you made that was excellent is that it helps support the efficacy of the treatments that you do at the yeah. fertility clinic. And, yeah. You know, these procedures cost a lot of money. They're very time consuming. It's stressful. It's emotionally draining on couples. But knowing that you've really given everything your best shot and you yeah. can increase your chances just that little bit more, really important message for women. Okay. So at what stage in your practice for like the women that you work with, is it appropriate to make a referral to, you know, the reproductive endocrinologists that work mm-hmm. at the fertility clinics? I know how it is here in Canada. We have fertility clinics, which are partially subsidized by the government and partially covered by patients. I think in the U S not covered by the government, but by insurance plans and people pay out of pocket, but just to differentiate as a naturopathic doctor, you're, well, actually some naturopathic doctors are working closely at the fertility clinics, but yeah. we're talking about reproductive endocrinologists that are MDs who have that specialization that can do the procedures such as IUIs and IVF and can prescribe certain fertility pharmaceuticals. Typically, so standard of care, if you were to go to your family doctor is they'll wait 12 months. So you are not deemed subfertile or infertile until you have been actively trying to get pregnant for 12 consecutive months. So if you take a break in the middle of your year, then they'll start you over on your 12 months because you weren't actually trying for 12 consecutive months. So 12 consecutive months of trying, if you aren't getting pregnant at all, they will refer you. If you had gotten pregnant but miscarried, they'd still likely make you wait a little bit because they'd say, miscarriage is common, you are able to get pregnant, you know, wait another year. So for me, I don't think that that is helpful for couples. I do think that there's a lot we can do before waiting 12 months. And if we are finding things that need to be worked on, then we're looking at, you know, three to six months of treatment before possibly making any headway. And so now we're looking at, you know, almost two years before someone is possibly growing their family. So I like to refer women over to the fertility clinics after about six to eight months of us working together. So usually, uh, unless a caveat to that is unless they've already been trying for like 10 to 12 months, then I will refer them right away. But if they're just starting to try, I usually say, give me six months let's do what we can do. And if we don't get anywhere, then we'll send you over to the fertility clinic, have a round of cycle monitoring done. This does not mean you need to go through with any treatment plan. You don't need to do an IUI or an IVF, but as an ND, I can't requisition ultrasounds. So it's always good to get the physical aspect ruled out. Are your tubes open? Actually see if follicles are maturing. We're not seeing any Uh, uterine abnormalities that may be impacting fertility and go from there. So I typically around six months, I'm sending people over for couples though, in the last two years of my practice, I'm really advocating for men to get a semen analysis done right away. 
there's really no point in waiting until you get sent to the fertility clinic to have this done. You know, it takes two to tango. I tell all of my women this, you need to get your men on board with your treatment. And that means preconception care. I don't know why men don't do preconception care or why we don't talk about it, but it is just as important for the men than the women. And it's so, I mean, yes, okay, maybe slightly embarrassing, but so easy and not expensive to get a semen analysis done and just know right from the beginning, do we need to be treating the partner? I've had way too many times in my practice where I've worked with women for the six, eight, 10 months, and then we find out down the line that their husband has really low count. I'm like, well, this explains a lot. <laughs> this explains why this isn't working because you are the only one doing the work. So my new rule in practice now is we get you tested as soon as possible because it's not worth waiting when it's so, it, and the research, you can probably speak to this, but the research in fertility, a lot is focused in men, I find, versus women. There's We have a lot of really great research for supporting male fertility naturopathically, and it's you know, something that I think doesn't get spoken about enough. And what a beautiful opportunity to collaborate and make this really about the husband and the wife, a joint mm -hmm. effort. Yeah. Sometimes, absolutely. you know, I'm, I'm sure you see this where it's the woman who books the appointment. She comes in, she's doing all the work. She's putting all the pressure on herself to do everything as women. That's what we do. We yep. put all the pressure on. And then, you know, having her partner, her partner's supportive, but why not be that extra level of supportive and, mm -hmm. you know, be doing the thing, doing everything that she's doing as well, right? The diets, they can both benefit from the same diet. Tests don't guess, just know right away what yeah. you're dealing with. And I will say to that, that I have had a good amount of men in my practice come in and say, I want to do whatever I can. And so I'm not generalizing to any of the dudes that are listening, like in the cars with their wives <laughs> Yeah, that, you know, you're all you know, against what, what your partner is doing. I do have so many men in my practice who very voluntarily sign up for testing and treatment. And a lot of them even say like, I see my wife doing all of these things and I just need to do something. And so there, there's that level of support there. It really comes down to like, yeah, we don't need to wait. And all the preparing that your wife is doing, even if you aren't trying to get pregnant yet, like get on board because you can be doing all of that stuff too. And it's only going to improve your chances. Yeah. I think I, this was my favorite. I had a, a partner book an appointment and he just wanted to just know what was going on. And he, and his question was, I want to know how I can support my wife. And typically this is, you know, in the category of counseling, which I don't, I don't often get into, but he just needed to know that he was doing, that he didn't need to do anything necessarily, but just be there for her support her. And, you know, he ended up coming up with these really amazing ideas. You know, he's researching recipes that they can have together. He's buying her really warm boots to keep her feet warm, you know, like cute little things like that, that he didn't even know were, was part of him being supportive. So yeah. yes, we shouldn't give partners a bad rap because they do, they go through the pain just just as yeah. much as women do. I've yeah. even heard some say it's worse because they feel like they can't. Helpless. They do anything. They feel mm -hmm. helpless. Exactly. All right. In your experience, has there been some pros and cons that you've noticed between clients maybe entering that fertility clinic space prematurely or before they're ready? Can you speak to that? I find I do really have to have a good conversation with my clients before sending them over because a lot of them, not all of them, but a good amount of them are are fearful of entering the fertility clinic stream because I think it makes it very real that they're struggling yes. versus, you know, yes, they're openly talking about it with me and we're working on it. But now a lot of them, I don't think really identify with the diagnosis of infertility until they enter the fertility clinic. And so that is a really big step for women. And I think some of it comes from 
fear of cost. You know, we hear a lot about the high costs in the fertility clinic stream. And so a lot of women are like wary of even kind of crossing that path. But then it's also just lack of knowledge and understanding. You know, they don't fear of the unknown. They don't know what they're getting into. So I always really try to encourage them to like, exactly like I said before, just because we're going does not mean you need to do anything else but cycle monitoring. Let's just do a round of cycle monitoring. Let's see what the reproductive endocrinologist has to say in terms of your case. Is there any insight that they can add? Um, Is there testing that they can do that I don't have access to? Those are the big pros. So for example, um, I'm working right now with a woman who has had four losses this year and which is devastating for her and her husband. And we've, I've now sent her to the fertility clinic. Um, she was actually pregnant when she came in to see me. And so we were in a holding pattern and she did end up having a loss, unfortunately. So we've sent her to the fertility clinic because there are certain things in terms of recurrent miscarriage that unfortunately as an ND, I don't have access to in the lab. So that is where I really gain great benefit working collaboratively with the fertility clinics is the extra testing that I can't do. And then it's also just another avenue. You know, some women do just don't want to wait any longer. And so they're ready and willing to do whatever it takes. And that is completely fine. And there's no judgment coming from me that they want to do the medication because at the end of the day, you need to do whatever you're comfortable with to grow your family. And if that means that you need to start exploring the options of IUI and IVF, then I'm here to support that part of your journey now, full naturopathically and still very on the emotional, mental, emotional level too. I think that's where a lot of women in the fertility clinic need extra support. Cons, I, again, I think it's just a lot of women are fearful. So it is usually um, a multi timed conversation. We'll have it more than once. I'll usually like put the bug in their ear that, you know, in the next couple of months, we might want to start talking about the possibility of a referral. So it's not just like they come in and I say, listen, here's your referral for the clinic. I'll see you in two months after your cycle monitoring and we'll go from there. Like I, I really do try to walk them through the process because most women do find it fearful. And then all clinics aren't equal, unfortunately. So I know in the States, there is a lot more options in bigger cities, like often women will actually travel to fertility clinics that have good success rates. I find here in Ontario, we don't have a lot of options and, you know, local is just usually the only option or at least in an hour's drive. And it's also easier for women too, if it's local. So not everyone can just pick up their lives and, you know, drive two hours to their fertility clinic every other day for cycle monitoring. So that really puts you in a position of, okay, I have maybe one, two, three clinics to choose from. And they're not all equal. And it's very similar to picking a naturopathic doctor. If you don't jive and resonate with that person, it's hard to build that therapeutic relationship with them. So I have some people who really like one clinic, but then other people really don't like that clinic. And so it's a very personal experience. So not having a lot of options, I find is a bit of a struggle, but that's just where we live, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you saying you have that conversation multiple times of Mm -hmm just because you're entering that space doesn't mean you have to do everything as they're recommending because, you know, they have a certain subset of clinical guidelines that they have to follow when someone comes into the clinic, but fertility is individual and you may be at a different place in your physical health and your emotional health in your lifestyle. Like you, there's so many things going on. So I think it's a really, it's a really good point to hammer home that you still have choices when you go there and working with someone collaboratively can help you with your mental health through that and the decision-making process. Because sometimes you just, you don't know what, what to expect. You don't know who else to talk to about this stuff. And, you know, someone like yourself who works collaboratively in this space can be a really good asset to your, to your fertility team. Can you share a bit about what your process is like? Let's use the example of the couple that have been trying for a couple of months and then they come to see you. Perfect. So I, it's funny that you, you give an example, but honestly, I don't treat my women very differently. (laughs) 
on where they're coming in. I think everyone really does deserve the same level of like investigation. So regardless if you're being proactive or if you've been trying, I really do the same thing. So I love that you said this earlier, but I really do believe in testing and not guessing, um, especially when it comes to fertility. So I run a panel that I call the Fertility Foundations. So it is what I've deemed through research and evidence are really some important things to rule out as possible. Um, blockers to getting pregnant, but also things that might be increasing miscarriage risk. So I think that's a really big thing that often gets overlooked in the fertility world. Miscarriage is very common. One in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. And I would even argue that that number might actually be higher if we could know the subset of women who are having miscarriages and don't know. So women who are not actively trying and just think like, oh, funny, my period is a couple of days late and they're having an early miscarriage and have no idea. So we say one in four, but it's quite possible that that number is, is actually higher than we know. Um, so ruling things out like, like, you know, insulin resistance and thyroid health and vitamin D things that we know from the literature are supportive tools to understand from a miscarriage and fertility perspective. I want all of that information up front. So I put women through, um, the fertility foundation blood work, and then we get back together and I present them with what I call their strategic care plan. So I've developed a method, the fertility confidence method is how I sort of operate my practice, um, both in person and now branching into the online world. So offering my fertility confidence method as a group coaching program now, which I'm really excited about. And we, I present them with their custom care plan based on their fertility foundation lab work and teach women how to actually properly track their cycles and when to time intercourse. Because if they're just starting out on this journey, Unfortunately, a lot of the time women aren't, well, not women, but couples aren't having sex at the right time. Or uh, something that happens quite often is they're having way too much sex. And so all leading up to ovulation, and then by the time they're in that actual active fertile window, the man's really got like not a whole lot of juice left or not a lot of good sperm left, right? Because it goes back to what we were taught that you could get pregnant every single Run day of, of your cycle, right? Exactly. It's not, the, it's not the case. Like, yes, we need to, the sperm need to be there before you ovulate. That's important. So I find education is a really big piece and like honing in on, we get super intimate, my patients and I, and <laughs> Luckily, most of the time, if they're coming to me for fertility, they're willing and ready to be open. And I always, we, we kind of end up having a giggle after a couple of months of really getting to know each other that they are, they're like, you know, I know, you know, when I'm having sex with my husband, and like, that's so weird. I'm like, you know, don't, I don't like sit at home and check my calendar and say like, oh yeah, like John and, and Susie are in their fertile window. Like, not, it's not that creepy, but, <laughs> but we do need to know, we need to understand like when the best time is. So it is a lot of education around their bodies and getting them to track properly and knowing when to have sex and then the support of balancing their hormones and eating properly and moving their bodies and reducing stress. I walk them through all of these pillars of health essentially that are good from a fertility perspective. And we kind of tweak and things as we need over the six months that we're really working closely together. And then at that point, we make a decision about, is there possibly something else going on? Is there more investigation needed if they're not getting pregnant or if they're having recurrent miscarriages and then we go from there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so important to get, get the right information so you know where to, where to target your treatment. And I know it can be frustrating for some couples because they're like, oh, but they, you know, you want to get pregnant right away and, or you want to get pregnant yesterday, but it's really doing the foundation and like you mentioned, and making sure that all of your pillars are healthy in place. And I always say, you know, this is not just about helping you get pregnant, right? We're doing work that's about the health of your baby even the health during your pregnancy, like this is huge. Yeah. And beyond that too, last, last night, I just had a call with a woman that I said, you know, that she's a bit older. She is very, has a very positive 
outlook on the fact that this might not happen for her because of her age and she's okay with that. They were lucky to conceive naturally. They have, she has a two-year-old, but we did do the fertility foundation workup. And I said to her, you know, we have all these things we need to work on. And yes, we're coming at it from an angle of improving your fertility and hopefully helping you to conceive. But at the end of the day, all of these things are really important for your long-term health moving forward. So even if in six months you're like, no, nah, I'm done. I don't really want to like actively, actively try anymore. This stuff still matters, you know, like balancing your hormones still matters and making sure you're eating well to improve your insulin sensitivity still matters. So it's really, you know, we focus on it in this box of fertility and I feel very sneaky that I'm also in the back of my mind going like, I'm going to make you live longer and you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Bet you didn't think you'd get that when you signed up yeah. for an appointment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why my fees are so high. I am offering you years of your life. <laughs> or they're not high enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's a statistic that a pregnant woman has the ability to influence the health of her grandchild. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eggs, that is eggs insane. are made in utero. So a female baby is born with all of her eggs and it's the mother's health that is really impacting the start. And so that's, that's the grandbabies. And I think that is super creepy and also really cool. <laughs> Transgenerational medicine. Like- exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Think about your grandkids. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And living longer so you can hang out with them and be super vital. Exactly. So you brought up something and I want to pick your brain about what the updated research is about that. So timing with intercourse in terms of quality of sperm. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of information in this space. If you have some most updated research to share. But in terms of how long in between ejaculations, what is the time within the fertile window? Yeah. If you can talk a little bit about sperm regeneration to give couples, you know, a little bit more information if they are, you know, trying on their own. This is actually why I think doing a semen analysis is really important because it totally depends on the man and we don't know unless we actually see the numbers. So someone who has insanely good sperm counts and what that actually looks like is Um, about 75 million per milliliter of ejaculate, which is a lot. Like that is a ridiculous amount of sperm. And that's optimal for fertility. When we do a scene analysis and we actually see reference range, I believe normal at this point is above 25. Actually, I think it's 15 now even. So over the years, the normal has gone down. And the reason for that is is reference range, as you know, is just population average. And unfortunately, our fertility has declined with environmental exposures to toxins and different lifestyle changes that we've made over the years. Our fertility, both male and female, has declined over the years. And with that, we're seeing a really drastic change in reference range, which stinks because that means men aren't getting treatment that they probably should be if they're not having a second set of eyes that understands optimal count on their levels. So if they're seeing, oh great, I have 17 million, I'm, I'm more than normal, that's awesome. But the chances of conceiving naturally at that level are actually quite slim. So you are in, if you have about 17 to 20 million, you are in, I think the 10th percentile, meaning eight or 90% of men have better sperm than you. (laughs) It's not a competition, but it also means that if you are in that 10th percentile, only like your chances are that much low, like not 10%, but because I'm not a statistics major by any means, but your chances are that much lower, you know, like you are on the bottom of the barrel there in terms of count. So that's the biggest thing. And if you have low count, we actually need you to be having less intercourse leading up to ovulation because we need to give your body enough time to regenerate a little bit more sperm. If you have a very robust count, having sex every day, uh, once you see that 
egg white fertile mucus is the general recommendation. But if you have low sperm count, every day might not be good for you because the first two um, ejaculates, you know, might be fine, but then the next two aren't. And now you're a little bit too far away from when you've actually, they've actually been able to reach that egg or the egg has been released or Maybe there's not enough egg white cervical mucus, so that earlier ejaculate, those sperm don't survive before the, you know, there's so many things that need to happen so perfectly for pregnancy to even happen. And I know that seems silly to say when your friend got pregnant in Mexico on the birth control pill when she was like 20 drinks deep, and now you can't. Like, I understand that there's this weird, energy that it should be easy. And it's just not because so many tiny little things have to happen to, to actually make a pregnancy. So it completely depends on the numbers. My general rule is if we don't know, if they haven't done a semen analysis, I do ask couples to wait at least 24 to 36 hours, 36 hours, usually like a day and a half. So if, if it's Tuesday and you have sex in the morning, don't come home and have sex again that night. Um, maybe Wednesday morning if you want, or Wednesday evening would even be better. So giving you just a little bit more time, starting when you see that egg white fertile mucus, and um, at least till one day when it's dry. So that usually should encompass a fertile window. And this is only really helpful for women who are seeing that egg white fertile fertile mucus and understand what that means. So this is where the education around cycle tracking really becomes super important. If someone has a lower count, we'll actually spread that out a little bit longer to at least every 48 hours uh, to give them a little bit more time to regenerate. And then we also don't want men to not ejaculate for a really long time waiting for ovulation. So no more than five days is typically what I say. After about four to five days, sperm will actually start to die off and their motility, they'll start to slow down so they won't be as fast. So you're, though you might have a lot of sperm, the quality starts to decline if it's been for more than four to five days. So you do have to kind of make a little bit of a schedule and, and masturbation is a, is a conversation. I think that needs to happen more because that obviously counts as well when you're, when you're really trying to count and time properly. But typically rule of thumb would be like every 36 hours in that fertile window and then give or take a little bit depending on the semen analysis. Right. And again, to emphasize what you said, everyone should, every male partner should go and get a Semen analysis yeah. done at any stage because yeah. it's, it's like twenty bucks. <laughs> it's super cheap. It's a little bit tricky for us as NDs here, unfortunately, because they have to take it to a very specific lab testing facility. We don't have one here where we are, so you'd have to find one near you. I know in the states, it's actually significantly easier. And if you have a fertility clinic around that's willing to take just a sample, which is what I often do here when I'm working with in-town clients, is I will just send them to the local fertility clinic to have their semen analysis done instead of, you know, an hour away. Because there's very strict rules around taking your sample and dropping it off. So we can't, we have to be very careful. Um, but it, other than the like constraints of figuring out how to actually get it ordered and done, it's, it's easy and it's not expensive. Right. And the timing, right. You don't want to alter your results just by sperm dying off in the process of getting it to the lab. Yeah. 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 Which I have had happen before, like some, some things that I'm like, I think this is a lab error and I've had to send people back, which really sucks. But um, cause even if it sits too long at the lab, like it really does need to be analyzed within an hour to 90 minutes, like maximum. So it's like very strict. <laughs> yeah. And then to highlight another point that you made about, you know, we're talking about sperm and we're talking about when to ejaculate and that conversation does come up a lot, but the part that doesn't get spoken about a lot is how important cervical mucus is mm -hmm. that egg white cervical mucus, it, you know, I always say it's liquid gold because it not only gives us an indication on, on how our hormones are doing, but it also has the, all of the nutrients, the right environment, the right pH so that sperm can survive. 
it's literally the vessel that allows sperm to get where it needs to go in mm. order to bring that sperm closer to the egg. Yeah, it's the sperm highway. <laughs> yeah, totally. We're going to have so many women listening to this now going, what the F is egg white cervical mucus and do I have it? So we might have to do a whole nother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, honey, when I do my demos, I actually bring egg white and I'm oh like, my gosh, this is. <laughs> That is smart because I'm, t- I'm like, you know, when you crack an egg. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, have some and- resources online too, um, like cervicalmucus.org. Have you ever seen that website? Yes, where they have um, actual photos of different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's important too because a lot of women, you know, peak mucus or as we're calling egg white cervical mucus, you know, that's anything that's stretchy and clear in color. Mm-hmm or has a lubricative sensation. So that, those three qualities are so, it could be any of them. Yeah. So you could still have fertile, you know, peak fertile mucus and not have it look exactly like egg white. Yeah. So yes, the education piece is really important. Or not even really see it and just feel You might it miss it. Just by vaginal sensation. So there's, yeah, yeah there's a lot of pieces. <laughs> it gets- yeah. This is why women get overwhelmed once they really yes. get immersed and, and why I think working with an ND like ourselves really helps to kind of quiet the noise and bring them back to, okay, this is why I'm doing this. And this is what is right for me yeah. and my body. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you had said, you know, at the beginning that 12 months of trying that, you know, it reminded me of the women who are on birth control mm-hmm. and, you know, they come off birth control and like they might have a withdrawal bleed or their cycles may be irregular. It takes, you know, it can take six to 12 months just for their cycles to be regular. So yeah. if we add that to the 12 months of trying, you know, that's, that's two years, right? Mm-hmm. Before for some women. So I'm um, keeping that in mind. And that's why the pre, you know, preconception care is so important. Um, you said this too, like the first category of women that you work with, the ones that are proactive, you know, when you're not in that active, you know, TTC journey, you can say, okay, all I have to do in this window is focus on making my body healthiest it can be, understanding how to do the cycle charting. And then when, it, when it's go time, I can feel confident and fully yeah. ready to Absolutely. take on that. It becomes a really big empowerment piece. I find the women who are like, I want to learn about this. I want, I want to make sure I'm ready when it's time. And then when we get into like the cycle education and their minds are blown, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. My body was trying to tell me so many things, or if they are just coming off of birth control, you on birth control, we don't get a lot of vaginal discharge. So, and our hormones are suppressed, right? We don't get those signals from our body. And so they're almost exploring this whole new version of themselves coming off of hormonal birth control and getting to know themselves better and navigating that. And it becomes, I think, a very empowered experience for women when they are ready to take that step. And not everyone is, is ready to do all the cycle charting and, and to, or to come off birth control right away. And that's okay too. You know, we can work with that. It's their choice, but knowing that there's people here to help them navigate that when the time comes for them, I think is helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's so much better to seek, seek the help early and and know that it's there. You know, it's not something that you have to struggle through, or seek Dr. Google and become overwhelmed and overwhelmed and confused and just feel like you're in a state of panic because you don't really know how to apply or interpret what you're yeah, reading. Mm-hmm. All right. This has been great. So much good content. <laughs> My last question is, what is your number one piece of advice that you wish that all couples could know about the fertility journey? Yeah, I think... The number one piece of advice I would give all couples is you don't have to go it alone. Um, Oftentimes, I think, you know, we don't tell people when we're trying to get pregnant. There's just this like stigma of we need to wait till three months because that's when it's safe. I don't want to talk about if I've had a miscarriage. That's fine. 
the narrative is really changing in 2019, especially I felt it so hard where a lot of influencers are starting to open up about miscarriage and it's really opening this beautiful door for women to be more vulnerable and to know it's okay and it's normal. And unfortunately it's quite common and they aren't alone. And so I really do encourage a lot of my patients to bring someone into their circle that isn't their partner, that isn't me, that they can have a conversation with when they're feeling down. They're like, man, here's my period again. Like what the heck? So that they have some other additional support. And it's also, it's a community piece. I think that that is really what makes me love fertility so much is like when women are open and out there about their journey, the TTC community is fantastic. It's so supportive. You see it all over social media, these women really bonding over the fact that they're struggling to have a baby. And so if you are in the early days of trying to get pregnant, it can be a very lonely and isolating journey. No one understands that every single month that you aren't getting pregnant, you're grieving. And every single month your period comes, you're grieving. And, and even if you have the most supportive husband in the world, he can't understand what that feels like for you on, a, on an emotional level. But finding other women who have gone through what you're going through, they can help you to just normalize the situation, but then also offer a shoulder of support. So this is part of the really, this is honestly one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to bring what I do for women into the online space, because I've been very successful in my one-on-one -on -one practice, which I'm not stopping. I'm still doing one-on-one -on -one client care, but the piece was always, the community piece was always missing for me. I could build a really strong connection with my patients and oftentimes they would see other practitioners in the clinic that I used to work in, but we weren't, I wasn't able to cultivate that fertility community that I really, really strongly feel is a huge piece of the pie when it comes to treatment. And the opportunity arose for me to take my method and package it in such a way that I could then bring it to an online space and really start to reach more women across Canada and the United States and not just in my community here in Guelph. Um, but I can work one-on-one -on -one with them and cultivate that community and that, that experience of camaraderie with all of the women that I'm working with that are going through the same journey instead of them passing each other in my hallway and not knowing that they're there talking about the exact same thing. And I'd always want to, I'd tell my women all the time, like, I just want to get you guys all together in a room and bring you snacks and like some sparkling water and we can just hang out and like just vent about this experience because you need that but I don't want to break patient confidentiality. So I also can't like invite you to this soiree with all of my other patients. So working more, moving into a coaching aspect, becoming a fertility coach and, and offering this group community atmosphere, I think is a really amazing journey I'm about to walk on with women. And I'm excited to really grow and cultivate this space to be a safe space of, of not only boosting fertility and getting pregnant, but healing and, and really finally finding a, a group of people where you no longer feel like you're on this isolated island by yourself with maybe your husband living in a hut off to the side who like sort of kind of gets it, but not really. And maybe you have your mom on the other side of you that's just telling you, it's okay, sweetie, it will happen when it happens because that's not helpful either. You, you need other women who are in the trenches with you. And so mm -hmm. that's really where the fertility confidence method, I think, is going to surpass what I'm doing in my one-on-one -on -one brick and mortar practice because now I get to have that piece that I've been like yearning for, for my patients. So it's really exciting. Fertility soiree sounds fabulous. No. <laughs> <laughs> I might start holding them and just saying, you can come if you want, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, no, all kidding aside, I think you, you nailed the, 
you, you nailed it, right? You nailed it with the piece about not feeling like you're alone and reaching out to other women. I had somebody say to me, like they could feel something with a, another woman at their office, but they weren't sure. And then they just decided to go for lunch. And then they both shared that they were working at the same clinic. They had a very similar experience. And it felt good for both of them to have that. There was a lot of taboo in the fertility space and there's a lot of shame. Once you can see how valuable that support is through a community, I think you'll, you'll let that go because the feeling of feeling supported is what is yeah. so needed. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Kelsey. This was a great interview. I know. I really enjoyed it. I feel like we went on a huge like male <laughs> fertility tangent and male fertility. I am like, I'm probably aggressively passionate about. So it's maybe a topic that we should go deeper into eventually. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is something I could ramble on about forever. It is so important. So lastly, if our listeners are wanting to connect with you about your fertility group program, your fertility methods, what's the best way for them to do that? Social media, that's honestly probably the best way. So on Instagram at dr.kelseyduncan.nd or on Facebook, Dr. Kelsey Duncan ND. I facilitate a free Facebook group called Be Hormonally Confident, which is focused in fertility, but our name is very inconspicuous so that your uh, friends on Facebook won't know that you are in a fertility group. Um, but I'm live in there answering questions and really just encouraging conversation with group members. And then they can also find me on my website, www.kelseyduncan.com. Uh, and all the information on getting in touch with me for either one-on-one -on -one or into the fertility confidence method will be up on there. But I'd love for people to come find me on Instagram, send me a DM, uh, definitely tag me if you're listening to this podcast so that I know. And if you ever have any questions, I'm always happy to help answer or guide you to a resource that will, that will help. Wonderful. And we will put all those links in the show notes so our listeners won't have any troubles finding you and reaching out to you. Thank you thank so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of all future episodes. And don't forget to check out the show notes for all guest details and your free downloadable goodies. Your feedback is important to me, so please, please leave a review so women can find and be empowered by this knowledge. If you have a topic you'd like to see discussed on the show or have a recommendation for guests you'd like to see interviewed, please get in touch by emailing the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>